Well, the love story continues, and we find ourselves in chapter 4 of the book of Ruth. And it reminds me, as we talk, you've noticed an overwhelming theme throughout our service of this idea of our Redeemer and redemption. And I thought, well, how do I get you connected with that today? Well, not so long ago, America introduced a plight on the society of mankind that we celebrated the day after American Thanksgiving. It is forever known as Black Friday. It is the day when everyone goes shopping at the most unholy of hours. In fact, now it's even moved into Thursday night. But when I was a child, we would all go to the mall at 4 o'clock in the morning to stand in line and wait until the doors opened so we could get this little coupon that said, you now get this much money off. Then all the grandkids had to hand those over to Grandma Rose because if we handed those over to Grandma Rose, we got more stuff. And she needed the coupon, which apparently back then could be combined to add to her discount, and therefore she could do her shopping for her grandchildren, and all were happy in the land, except for the grumpy grandkids that had to get up at 3.30 in the morning the day after Thanksgiving. But the coupon was needed to get the special price. You had to get in line, someone gave you that coupon, And then when it was time to check out after you got to tell grandma what you wanted, she would go to check out and she would redeem this magical coupon that got you stuff that was worth this much. When reality, she only paid this. But the coupon had to be purchased or had to be provided and there was a cost. You had to get yourself out of bed. You had to show up and then you had to sit there with all of Uh, your uncles and fathers who did not want to be shopping on Black Friday. Redemption, in a much bigger, more painful way, is a bit like that. There's a price to pay that we often forget about when we talk about the love of Jesus Christ. It's not that we don't care. It's just we're really good at talking about grace And we're not so good at discussing wrath and judgment and sin and justice. We believe in justice for everyone else. But for ourselves, it's hard for us to think that someone had to pay the price for something to be given us that we often consider a free gift. Indeed, salvation is free to you and I. But it cost God everything, his very son. And the book of Ruth is an amazing story, historical in nature, of God showing us the way of salvation by using human characters that showed the depth of his love for sinners that were broken by their life choices. And so as we come to the conclusion of Ruth and begin moving into this Advent season, Black Friday also usually marks the beginning of Advent, we move into wondering about another Black Friday. We call it Good Friday. But the day Jesus Christ went to the cross for our sins. And so we're going to walk through those verses that David just read and we're going to consider this concept 
of redemption. What does it mean for us to let, as Pastor Eris said not so long ago, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, in which case as a kid I used to say so. That wasn't what they meant. They meant say I'm redeemed. I didn't know. I was seven. But for us, we have to remember who God is that we talked about last week. For us, we have to remember that all of this is about God and his work in broken people. And we're going to see that today in some exciting ways. And I wish, I really do wish that I could sit with you in a little circle and go group by group and talk about this in a conversation. I think it would be more effective. But instead, I'm going to try to concisely share just a little of the depth that comes when all four chapters of Ruth are brought together to its redemptive finish. And we read the last line, the genealogy. And you'll see where I'm going with that. But first, we have to remember who God is and who he always has been and who he always will be. And we see this from the beginning of Ruth to the end of Ruth. We see this from the beginning of God's word to the end of God's word. Never can you find a time when God has not been faithful. Ever. It may not feel that way to you, but if we start to let the Lord search our hearts, we know it to be true. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi once said that to Luke Skywalker about his father. For us, we have to realize that God is faithful. When we often complain about his unfaithfulness, if we search our hearts and let him search our hearts, we often realize that... um, Maybe it's weaves kind of stepped over here and haven't been following as closely with the Lord as he's invited us into. And as our hearts have hardened, we've missed the blessing of him. He has not stopped being faithful, not to the people of Israel, not to you and I, and not to this world. While we push him away, he still invites us to draw near. That's amazing. And I'm going to point that out in a very practical way in a few minutes. Not only that, he is our protector. Mark my words, as we go through the next 25 years as a society, it will become increasingly difficult to freely worship the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no sign on this earth that makes me believe otherwise but save the return of Christ Jesus. If he comes back, great. We are wonderfully and happily redeemed fully and completely by the Lord. He has, been restore, or he has restored this world. But while we eagerly wait in anticipation for his return, this world seems to continually be pushing him further and further away under the guise of things like tolerance, like freedom, and like understanding. When in reality, what we're doing is we're saying the rules don't apply in this setting. And we've pushed God to the side. He will still protect his people and we will be called upon to be faithful with what what he's called us to in these last days. And finally, as we read in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 17, it is God that redeems his people. Time and again, I love reading the major prophets. When, when you hear a pastor or a teacher, somebody say the major prophets or the minor prophets, It's not that they were more important than the others. It's just they said more. (laughs) 
<laughs> so the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and, and some say Ezekiel, they're longer, so it takes you longer to read them. But in all of those, you read this pattern where God pronounces judgment on the people of Israel, the people of Judah, the people surrounding, and then continually he invites them back, regardless of how far away they've come. Why do I highlight that he is our redeemer? Well, because it's where the text takes us today. And it's where each one of us needs to wrestle in our hearts and hearts, heart of hearts with who we are. If we are to walk this world as a Christ follower, we need to understand that we have been bought with a price. And that at that price, at that cross, and at that resurrection... We have been remade as a new creation. Not just kind of brought into a friendship of which Jesus said, now I call you my friends. But further, I call you family. I have adopted you as sons and daughters. And I will care for you. I will provide for you. I will protect you. And I have redeemed you, making you into my righteousness, not your own, because your own is filthy. It doesn't work. Mine, this is Jesus talking, not me. My righteousness, Mike's, doesn't work. God's righteousness through what his son does changes everything. And today I want to invite you into a transformed life that says we are going to live differently in a time when it is desperately needed. We're going to live out the truth of the gospel that is seen in both the Old and the New Testaments. And we're going to look at redemption very carefully. And we're going to understand who God is. And my prayer at the end of it is that we would but worship him and say, I'm his. And that changes everything. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word that you have bought us with a price. As we unlock this today, open our eyes and our hearts to your word that we might not just hear it, but we might live in it and we might respond as you call us to. In this we pray, amen. So we keep talking about this word redeem. So why don't we look briefly at what it means? Because for us today, it means a coupon. If I go across the street to St. Honor's tea, cake, tea House or the bakery next door, whatever it's actually called, all these people have these magical little pieces of paper that they got in their Chinese newspapers. And their bread costs a lot less than mine. But you know what I've discovered after 10 years of living here and going to that bakery? They always save some for me. <laughs> and so that I go in and the one lady that's been working there for 10 years and knows that I'm coming, she pulls out a coupon, she scans it and voila, the price has been paid. It cost her some profit margin for her corporate executives, but she does it out of the kindness of her heart. Redemption is much bigger than that in the spiritual scale. Redemption is to release or purchase something or someone by paying a price. It was often referred to in the Old Testament uh, when you talked about things like the year of Jubilee. 
if someone had gone broke or fall upon, fallen upon um, difficult economic times, they could sell themselves into what we would know as indentured servitude, where they would become the property or the rights of someone else that could afford to support them, to care for them, and to use them as employees. Uh, and so they were bought with a price. But at the end of a, seri- a, a significant amount of time, a year of jubilee was celebrated in which all debts were called in and set free. They were redeemed. And the people that had been bought were freed. Redemption always comes at a cost. I'm going to keep saying that over and over. And I want you to think about the context of where we find Ruth. And I've referred to it or alluded to it a a number of times. And today I want to go a little deeper. If you go back in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 25 and you begin to look, you'll read in the first few verses the following words. Oops, I marked the wrong page. And you'll see right at the beginning it says this. It says, Moab seduces Israel. That's uh, if you're in the NIV. It's actually got that title. Now remember, Ruth, where was she from? Moab. And where did Elimelech and Naomi and Malon and the other son whose name I have just forgotten, where did they go? To Moab. And what did the boys do? They married Moabite women. Now let me tell you about what that looks like to the people of Israel. Listen carefully to Numbers 25 to understand the depth of the racial divide here. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor and the Lord's anger burned against them. Then the plague against, you go down to verse 8, Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped by putting a spear through a few people. But those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. Now let's break this down into terms that we can understand. The people of Israel are living in the land of Moab. And despite God telling them, do not intermarry because you will be drawn into worship of a false god and it will lead to judgment. Remember, sin has consequences. I know that's not politically correct for me to say, but it's still true whether it's politically correct or not. Sin costs. Sin is expensive. And sin ultimately leads to death. The people of Israel chose to go a different way. God said, do not intermarry. Do not go toward these pagans, Gentiles, whatever you want to call them, because they will seduce you. They will begin to talk you into doing things you know better than to doing. But in that moment, you will not resist. God promised this. He warns time and again, don't do it. So what did they do? They intermarried. They worshipped the Baal of Peor, and God had to judge them. He had warned them, he let them know what would come, and he dealt with them. But they had been seduced. 
And from that moment forward, how did Israel feel about Moab? Not happy. It wasn't a peaceful relationship. In their minds, the people of Moab talked them into the death of 24,000 Israelites. Now, yes, they chose to disobey the Lord, but they were also seduced. And as we've seen time and again, war shows us time and again, old wounds do not heal quickly. Okay? Now, let's bring this into modern day. And this will likely be uncomfortable, but try to imagine this. Try to imagine you come to church next Sunday after seeing the news of ISIS beheading more and more people in Syria, Boko Haram attacking more and more people in Africa, and terrorist attacks growing under the name Islamic State all over the world. Okay? And next week in church, someone that looks just like you comes in and sits down next to you and says, Hi, my name is Bob. I'm a member of the Islamic State, but I wanted to come see what your church was like. How are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to someone that has willingly aligned themselves with the enemy of God? Likely, if it's me, full disclosure here, I'm moving away and trying to pass them off on one of my elders. Not really. I wouldn't do that. I would want to. It would be uncomfortable to say the least, and some of us might actually try to say, you shouldn't be here. It would be very, very difficult for us to associate with a member of Islamic State right here in our church, would it not? They have waged war on Christianity. They have said, I want Christians dead, and yet here is one that shows up in our church. How would we respond? Naomi, Elimelech, Malon and the other son went back to that kind of people that cost the lives of 24,000 people, that seduced Israel into worshiping false gods. Now, Israel made the choice, remember, but they were still seduced into sin, into intermarriage, and into false worship of false gods. God was no longer Lord, Baal was. And it cost them greatly. And then you get to Ruth chapter 1. And Naomi finds herself with nothing. And she changes her name to bitter. And she says, I've got nothing left. Ruth, go back home. And Ruth says, no. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Even though Ruth, or even though Naomi... You know, the underlying theme here is that Naomi hasn't been faithful to the Lord. She didn't trust him, along with her husband, to provide for their people in a time of famine. So they went and they sought to fix it themselves. They went to do it themselves because clearly God cannot provide. So we're going to do it our way and hope he blesses us. Well, that didn't work out. Elimelech and his sons died. Uh, In fact, one of them had the name of Sickly to begin with, so we don't know how long he would live. And Naomi is forced into a situation where she has to return back to Bethlehem, alone, widowed, broken, 
and likely what we would say ostracized, alienated, because she had gone away from what God had for her. But not only that, after trying to talk Ruth into staying home, she is bringing someone from Moab into Bethlehem. She is bringing a member of a nation of terrorists into her home. And the scriptures tell us that the people talked. Well, of course they talked. This is a Moabitess. We do not like these people. We want these people away from us and gone. And here is this broken woman and this alien terrorist nation-born daughter showing up in Bethlehem. For what purpose? (laughs) To teach us a thing or two about redemption. Because time and again, I discuss with people that Christ paid the price for all of our sins. And I hear people tell me that, but you don't understand, Mike. I'm not ready. I'm not good enough to come back to God. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve the love of God. Which, by the way, you're right. None of us deserve the love of God. That's what makes it so wonderful. It is undeserved. It is grace. It is a gift. But justice was still necessary. And redemption was needed. And so what if we sat down and we looked at this whole story in context? We would see that the first thing redemption requires is relation. Boaz looks at the one who is closer to him in relationship. There is one that is closer to Ruth and ultimately Naomi. This is the last time you hear the name Ruth until the end. Uh, From here on, we see the redemption of Naomi more than we hear about Ruth. It's kind of an interesting side note. But here we hear Boaz say, I thought I should let you know that you might want to buy the land and the property of Elimelech. And oh, by the way, included in that is the price of continuing the line of Elimelech through his Gentile Moabite daughter-in-law. That's now your responsibility if you redeem, if you become the kinsman redeemer. The guy hears about the land, and he's like, yeah, I'll take care of the land, I'll make the purchase, no problem. He hears about, the, about Ruth, and he's like, whoa, I can't, because that would mean that my inheritance would be now spread out upon the line of Elimelech and my own line. We don't even know the name of this guy. He's just friend. That's all we get. We know nothing about whether his motives were pure or not. None of that is made clear here. But what we do know is that in this instance, the first thing that had to happen in redemption was there had to be a family connection. Now let's move ahead. Jesus Christ reminds us in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 that we share his flesh and blood because of what he has done for us. That he, in order to redeem us, had to become related to us by the spilling of his blood. He became flesh and blood so he could die for us on the cross. And when he was born into this world in human flesh, what did he become? Our near kinsman, our kinsman redeemer. He would buy humanity at a tremendous cost. 
He would make us related to himself. In fact, Paul teaches us that you are no longer slaves. You are no longer orphans. You are no longer outsiders, whichever word. He uses all sorts of words. But he tells us, now you are co-heirs. If if that word doesn't make sense, co-inheritors with Jesus Christ. You have been bought with a price. And you have been adopted into the family of God through what Jesus has done. Now you move ahead to what does that mean for us? Well, it means that our citizenship becomes in heaven. Our family name becomes I am. I am a child of the living God. I am a son. I'm a man, so I'm a son. I am a son of the most high God. And you know what's better? I wasn't born into it. I was bought with a price and adopted. God chose me. He loved me enough to choose to give me access to him by giving up his own son so that I might have life and become part of the family. Isn't that amazing? That's why I have so much respect for anyone that chooses to adopt a child. (laughs) We joke, and I had friends that adopted, and one day um, their adopted son was feeling a little left out, and... The parents so wisely looked at him and and they said this. He said, Mom, it's it's not fair. I'm not, you know, little kids wrestle with identity when they're adopted. And he said, it's not fair. I'm not your real son. And the mom looked back at him. He said, okay, I understand what you're saying. But I didn't have a choice on the other kids. I picked you. That's what God did for us. God chose us. He loved us so much that he would give himself up in the name of Jesus for us. And it started with becoming flesh and blood, the incarnation, God becoming man and making his dwelling among us so that we can be related to him. So back to that ISIS illustration. If a member of the Islamic State comes and sits next to us, Well, we carry around the name of the living God who is our protector. And we get to look at that person and boldly say, have you met Jesus? I'd love to tell you all about him. I know you hate him, but he loves you. And he wants you to be related to him. You're invited. Wouldn't that be amazing? So let's keep going. Let's keep going with this redemption thing. And like I said, I would love to just sit down and discuss this, but I'm going to give you the point by point. But... As I've said, redemption also costs something. And let's play this out a little bit here in a minute. Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in, an, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. So this kinsman-redeemer thing, going back throughout uh, what's called Leverett Law, uh, the laws of the land, uh, required that if a, a man died and a woman was widowed, that his brother or nearest bloodline relative that was male should come along, take that widow as his wife, and bear a child so that that family line would continue. Uh, and, and as we get to it later on, we find out that, uh, that they pray a blessing upon uh, Ruth and Naomi, specifically Naomi, that she would be blessed as Judah and Tamar were. Well, Tamar, interestingly, 
uh, was supposed to be given when her husband died to Onan. But Onan would not redeem her. He did some very sketchy things. If you go back and read what happened. And he wouldn't allow her to get pregnant. And so Tamar figured out a way that Judah would redeem her and keep the name going. And sure enough, she is mentioned here. This kinsman redeemer line is very important to understanding that redemption costs a lot. And you are to maintain the name of what would become yours that was someone else's. So let's think about this then biblically. Romans 3 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? Okay. If that is to be true, and we know that God not only hates sin, but he cannot look upon it, that puts us at a significant disadvantage. Because it tells us a couple things. As you're reading through Romans 1, 2, and 3, you get to 3, and the subtitle in your Bible says, The Wrath of God. Oh, do we not like talking about the wrath of God. But we like saying God is holy. Yay! God is holy. Boo! God judges. And that's sometimes how we treat it. A holy God deals with unholiness, deals with things that are unclean. He had to deal with 24,000 people that had gone the wrong way when they were called to be light in a dark world. And it was painful. And it broke his heart to do it. But he is just. Sin is expensive. None more so than God looking down at humanity with compassion and inserting his flesh and blood, his own son, into a broken world and inviting that little baby to not just walk this earth perfectly, not just live perfectly as a king, royalty. Everyone should have recognized he's God. He can do anything. And Jesus certainly could have taken that stance. But how did Jesus live his life? is a humble servant, the son of a carpenter, which was pretty low on the food chain. And he invited people to follow his example of the first being last, of serving others, of sitting down with the unclean and inviting them to meals with him and inviting the world to know that there's a better way, that their sins can be forgiven and that it would be through him, that new birth. Man, what a radical concept for a Pharisee to be told that you've got to be born again. What? My mom's old or dead. I cannot go back into the womb. And even if I could, she wouldn't let me. I mean, these are real thoughts that were going through the Pharisee's mind when he was talking about this. And Jesus says, no, first you were born of the body. Now you must be born of the spirit. And you got me. And I came to seek and save that which was lost, which is us. I came to be the doctor to the sick. Those that are self-righteous and think they don't need me, well, I will let them wallow in their sin. But those that know they're sick, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see God. That's what that means. Blessed are those who have looked their sin in the face and realized they need God, will inherit the kingdom of God. They will be blessed. They will walk in righteousness with God, our Father who is in heaven. But Jesus had to pay the price for sin. 
he had to pay the price for what we have done for our unfaithfulness, for our brokenness, for our blatant disobedience, for our blatant rewriting of his law. Jesus doesn't doesn't make us pay that price. He went to the cross as only he could. A perfect sacrifice was demanded by God. God's justice demands it. God's love demands a perfect, pure and spotless sacrifice. And that's Jesus Christ. And through that, the church could be presented as his bride when he returns. A pure and spotless bride. It's why we sing we've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. He had to spill out his blood on the cross, suffering a horrible death so that we might live a fruitful life. Redemption cost God his very son. It cost Boaz, particularly reputation. Why would he redeem a Moabitess? Why would he do this? Why would he take these risks? Why would he risk his reputation, his financial status, whatever? But he did it because it was the right thing to do. And he bought Ruth with a price to keep the line of Elimelech going on. Not only that, but as it so happens, Boaz didn't just do it privately. Boaz didn't come up side by side and say, hey, come here. You want her? No? Okay, I got her. And and then we'll just do it quietly. No, Boaz grabbed the city elders of Bethlehem and they went out and they sat at the gate and they did what elderly men do in Hebrew times. They were sitting around and Boaz in front of all of them, 10 elders said, sit here. And then you move through the story and what does he say? Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And I have redeemed Ruth to be my wife so that her so that the line of Elimelech will continue. He is making a sacrificial statement saying that I will continue the name of of Elimelech. I will do that. I will redeem. And I am telling the world about it. What does that compare to today? Therefore, go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we have been redeemed, what better way to show the world than in a public declaration of our identification into the family of God through water baptism? It's that simple. You know what? Starting next Sunday, you've got the chance to join us for baptism class for the next two weeks. Why not make today the day when you will witness to the world that you have been redeemed? Not at a cost to yourself, but at a great cost to Jesus Christ, his very life. But when he rose again, the victorious words were prophesied, death has lost its sting and sin has lost its victory. We have been redeemed and we are called to witness that to the world. Other way of saying it, to testify to bear fruit, to live as agents of the family of God. Let's say I am born of the royal family, and there is only one royal family, and my name is Prince William. (laughs) You didn't know that, did you? Would there be any way to hide who my family is? 
No, no matter how hard I try, everyone will know that I am Prince William. Actually, I look more like Harry. I've got the red hair. So let's say Harry. Okay, so I'm not going to, you know, the king isn't going to come for me, but whatever. But you get the idea. No one is going to know or think that I am anyone but the prince. I can go hide. I can go do that. And somehow it's going to get out and it's going to find out. How come we have so many secret Christians? How come we have so many people unwilling to let the world know that we have been bought with a price? And that changes how we live, how we act, how we move, and how we have our being. Famous people say there's a cost to fame that everyone knows who you are. Christians would say there's a joy to being able to live in such a way that everyone knows who we are and hopefully give glory to God, the Father, who sees what we do. Wouldn't it be amazing if Christians said, I will testify to my Redeemer and I want everyone to know that. And maybe today is the day you consider baptism. Maybe you're stuck on the redemption side and today's the day you consider inviting Jesus to change your life forever. And I will walk you through both of these momentarily. But not only does redemption involve invite witness, but it buys belonging. Look at the text. Today you are witnesses that I have bought Naomi from Naomi, all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Ruth is gone. Think about this. From an alien from a terrorist nation to a squatter just trying to survive to one that has looked favorably upon a possible kinsman redeemer to one who has been redeemed. Now go ahead and tell me God couldn't possibly understand all that I've done wrong. God couldn't possibly forgive what I have done. And I say, have you met Ruth? She came from a people that worshipped Baal. And God redeemed her. Naomi willingly and knowingly chose to turn her back on God and go toward Moab, of which she was not supposed to do. And God mightily turned her bitterness into blessing and ultimately into redemptive hope for all of humanity. And how do I know that to be true? Because my Redeemer lives. Look at the end of Ruth chapter 4 as we finish up today. If, of course, I can flip to the right page in my Bible. Joshua judges Ruth. There we go. Boaz gets married. They do married people things, as you can read in your text. And she gives birth to a son whose name is Obed. Doesn't mean much to us today, unless you're going to name your kid Obed, in which case, wow, bold move. But Obed has a son whose name is Jesse. And at this point, some of us might begin to make a little more connection. Because, oh yeah, Jesse had eight boys. And it wasn't the firstborn. It wasn't the secondborn. It wasn't the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh. But it was the runt. I'm the baby of a family. I'm the runt, so I take great hope in this. 
It was David who was anointed to be the future king of Israel. It was David who was called a man after God's own heart. And it was David with whom God made the most miraculous covenant of all. Through your line will the Messiah come. And all of that out of the seed of a woman that was born into a terrorist family. My Redeemer lives. And he invites us to live in such a way that invites broken people into a hopeful relationship where we deal with sin and we move on, letting God heal us from the inside out. Listen to what Galatians 4, 4 and 5 say. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Those who call on the very name of Jesus Christ has been adopted as sons and daughters of God. But Mike, I'm broken. Well, to you I say, Jesus stands and he says, come. Yes, your sin needs dealt with, but I will do it. I've already done it. I invite you into forgiveness and into freedom and into family. If you would but come and call on my name, the very name of Jesus Christ. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, he will forgive us our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness, and adopt us into his family. Maybe that's what you need today. Pray it in your heart right now. Come talk to me after. I would love to tell you. But it's pretty simple. Jesus says, if you confess that Jesus is Lord, you've got him. He who called you is faithful. We confess our sins. And maybe some of you have been embarrassed to stand on the name of Jesus and live in a broken world. Well, Jesus had some harsh words for us if we're embarrassed. He said, well, I'll spit you out. But it doesn't have to be that way. There's another way. Again, there's forgiveness. And there's a deeper life. A life where you follow me through the journey of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus every day of your lives. And for some of you, that means publicly declaring you are a son or daughter of the Most High God and finally getting baptized so that all the world can see. December 20th, Christmas time. Why not let the world know that you're his? Maybe, it's, maybe you've done that, but you've realized that it's got to change how you live and act at work, at home, with your friends. And you go back to the words of King David, search my heart, oh God, make it ever new. And the song turned it into a rhyme, that I may be like you. What if we invited Jesus to search our hearts today? Our Redeemer lives. Do we live in the light of what he has done for us? If so, our lives will bear fruit. And the world around us will see him in us and give glory and honor and praise back to him. You see, Black Friday was a really good day for us. Christ paid the price for our sins 
so that we might have life. And he rose victoriously over those sins, promising that our sins do not mark us for all eternity. He does. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word, that you live, that you are alive, and that you have set us free. And so, God, I pray that we would live as redeemed children of you, the Most High God, that we would take seriously that we are part of your family and that we would celebrate that and that we would live that out knowing that true love to you means that we obey out of love for you so that others can see you. It's about you. Redemption is about you. Lord, set us free from our brokenness. Set us free from our sin. Set us free from our own agendas that we might follow and go where you would lead us. In this we pray. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.